before. Um, but I was thinking this morning, you know, in school, you always have the review, the review, you know, even if it was reviewing from last year, what you learned. So sometimes we have to review because it will be on the test. <laughs> we are going to have tests and it will be on there. Um, so, um, so this, this little scripture here, it's, you know, obviously we all very aware that this is a reference to Brother Branham, the prophet in the last days that would come. And, um, and all, we're all here because of that. And there's a, you know, I was thinking where this thought kind of came from is I was um, thinking about, uh, you know, how so many people even around the message almost misunderstand what Brother Branham came to do, what his purpose was, what the, the whole point of it was. And, and it gets everything so out of whack and, and, and you know, they end off, you know, in a train wreck because they've they've really kind of misidentified what the prophet was and what he came to do. And so, you know, if we, I want to start with this, just looking at, at what he was in Malachi, the, really the prophecy that, that uh, called for Brother Branham was, it's an indication that he's under an Elijah ministry. And so Elijah, his his purpose was never to bring anything of himself, right? If you look at the first Elijah, his purpose was always to point people back to the law of Moses, back to what came before, and and so we got to return back to the original, what God set forth in the beginning. And then you have John the Baptist, and his point was, look at everything that Moses did, right? Everything Moses is pointing at, well, that's here now. And so we, there's, and and so he's he's pointing at the, what, what was the beginning in order to make clear what's happening now. But it was never anything of himself. It was never anything, Elijah never pointed at himself. And, um, keep track of my time here. Um, So I want to, in light of that, I want to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 17. Actually, I have it on my, in my notes. Um, And, uh, don't really have to turn there if you don't want to. Um, I got it here, and I'm going to be kind of moving through it. Well, actually, no. Go ahead. Go ahead and put it up on the screen. I'm going to go ahead and um, and read uh, the first eleven verses. Um, and uh, Matthew chapter 17 and verse one. I'll just start reading. Y'all catch up. Um, and it says, "After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them into a high mountain apart." Um, verse 2, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, talking with, talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, um, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. Um, continuing on. Uh, and then the disciples heard, and when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. Um, let's see. Uh, um, and Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And then when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, 
Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. So um, I, I wanted to, in this, and I'm going to be, hopefully if I have the time, I want to come back and pick up some of this later. And so just one thing to keep in the back of your, back of your minds. Um, when I was studying this out, I noticed there's seems to be a fair number of parallels if we actually take this these 11 verses and look and compare them to Revelation chapter 10, um, in which I'm going to hope to do that a little bit later on. Um, but the one thing I want to catch for now is if you notice, you know, when, when Moses and Elijah appear, Peter's first instinct is a trinity doctrine. He's trying to build three tabernacles and make three gods, yeah. right? And, you know, because, of, because humanity is, tends to do that. Um, we tend to see the servants and the, the, the means through that God works through and then try to deify the messenger instead of the message. And what ends up happening, and it's, you know, what I'm, uh, the problem is it's showing that any time you're trying to deify a prophet and say, well, this individual person is, is not actually the message or the messenger. This is actually the God, and you're trying to worship a prophet. It's the same spirit as a trinity, right? It's the same thing. And it ends up with a lot of the exact same pitfalls and, and train wrecks that you get. Um, you know, you end up with, with, you know, some sort of centralized control, and, and you end up with a Nicolaitan attitude towards and, and crushing any sort of individual relationship with God. Because it's all funneled through some, well, we're, you know, the, we are the, 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 you know, we have the prophet, you know, we have the, the, we are the central authority. And so, um, the, and so then it, you know, it comes down, it says, so, but as Peter's saying this, while he's still speaking, God corrects it right there. It says, no, 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 not these people, but this is my beloved son, hear ye him, Right. The, the servants are fine, but you've got to keep your eyes on Christ. Because, um, you know, after the cloud descends and it, it, it you know, they saw, they saw Jesus only, right? So, um, oh man, burning through my time quick. Um, so I want to come down from there and, and look at this uh, in the sermon, the masterpiece. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably have to skip a lot of this. Um, so Brother Branham, this is the first sermon in which Brother Branham tells the vision in which he sees the bride in preview, right? We're all familiar with the sermon. He sees all the, he sees the bride and then all the different churches come by and then the church of America is in this horrible state. Um, and, and, and then he sees the bride again and, you know, she goes up, right? Well, um, so I want to read some excerpts from that. I don't think I have time to read the whole thing. So he says, um, so this is the first time he's ever telling anybody this uh, this vision. Um, so he says, uh, I fell into a trance, and when I did, there was somebody with me. I didn't see the person. I was just a, It was just a voice. And I looked, and as I looked this way, he said, the, birds, the bride will come in view for preview. And I looked coming to me, and I seen the prettiest bunch of clean-dressed women I ever seen in my life. 
um, but each one of them looked like was dressed different. They all had long hair, um, longer sleeves and skirts and so forth, young women. They looked kind of, I'd say, about maybe 20. Um, uh, okay. And he says, um, uh, skip over this. Um, and he said, so then he goes into, you know, how he's, he was an American and he saw the Church of America come by and how she was, you know, basically dressed with um, he, what he describes here almost like shredded newspaper and that's it. Just, just vulgar and, and, and lewd and, and just a complete disgrace and, and all the, you know, all these different churches from around the world coming around and they're all just progressively worse. Um, and, uh, which is interesting, um, cause he started this. He started this um, by saying uh, how he'd been in, in, in New York, Los Angeles, um, but the filthiest bunch of women I ever seen in my life was in Jeffersonville, Indiana. That's what he said. Um, he said, I'd never seen so much Guam and filth in my life as I've seen amongst them people. And so it was him looking at this in his own hometown, feeling so just broken about how, how you know, sinful the people were in his own hometown that that's when the Lord gave him this vision. And so here he is seeing, so here he sees the church of, of America come by completely, um, just, just immoral. And he, um, and so his heart's broken about this, right? And it says, and I started to bow my head and he said, wait, the bride must come again. And I looked and here they come again. And they passed by, sweet-looking little ladies. They was all looking right at me as they passed by. I noticed each one was dressed different, and one in the back had kind of long hair hanging down and had it rolled around like this, might have been German or something like that. And I watched them, and then they were starting to leave. Two or three of them in the back started to get out of step. And I was just going to holler at them, and they was trying to get back in step again, and I seen them just... Um, and the vision fade out and change for me. So, um, so we have this this image of you know if you can imagine in your minds. So the bride comes, then all these progressively deteriorating churches, and then the bride comes again. And he says, um, and in the in the in the beginning paragraphs of this, he's talking about how he never told anyone this, and he wasn't even sure exactly what it what the interpretation of this vision was. And so then he comes down here and it says, now here's the interpretation thereof. Uh, now remember, I had just got through writing. I hadn't finished. I hadn't wrote these notes yet. But in preaching this morning, I came, I caught what it was right in my sermon. Did you notice the church only came in view? Um, uh, that's truth, friends. The Heavenly Father who writes the word. Um, and, uh, skip this. Uh, did you notice the bride come in view twice? Right? So all the churches come in view once, the bride comes in view twice. The first seed and the second seed, both of them exactly the same one. And the reason they were dressed in different parts shall come from all nations. Um, it'll make up the bride. Each one had long hair and no makeup and real pretty girls. And they were watching me. That represented the bride coming out of all the nations. See, each one represented a nation as they marched perfectly in line with the word. Um, and then I have to watch her. She'll get out of step with that word if I don't watch. When she's passing by, if she gets by, maybe it'll be in my time when I'm over, see, when I'm finished or whatever it is. Watch. 
they was getting back, trying their best, they was getting back. They was getting in line because uh, they was looking out somewhere else, watching about that church that just went out into chaos. Um, the front ones never. The back ones, just two or three of them, was kind of stepped out a little bit to the right-hand side and looked like was trying to get back in line as they went by. They was just passing me, oh, far as the wall passed me, and I was standing there, um, and then, uh, okay, notice the church only came in view once, each nation, the church, but the bride come in twice. That's what it was. Now, not knowing it um, this morning, okay, so I want to kind of paint this a little bit of a mental picture a little bit, because I think this, this vision within this is some really good balanced teaching, because... So imagine, he says, when the bride's passing by, she's looking at him the whole time she's passing by, okay? So she's walking by, and she's, you know, walking by like this, and y'all are the bride, or Brother Brandon, and she's going like this, right? Okay. Well, when she gets past him, she has to move past the prophet. She has to, to go where she's going, because he's, you know, just watching her as she goes by. If she goes back, you know, once she goes past him, she can't keep keep looking or she's going to walk in a circle, right? She has to go take, she, the prophet has to leave the scene or she'll get hung up on that, right? She'll never move, move past him. And so on the one hand, she has to move past, but notice as soon as she does, she ends up out of step. So now we have a problem, right? We have a problem in which you and we see this in the message today. People don't want to move past the prophet. They've got their eyes on the prophet, right. right? And they end up walking in a circle. Or you have the people who are completely turned away from the prophet and end up chasing a denomination, Amen. right? But notice the thing that kept her in line, even when she didn't have her eyes on him, was his voice that continued on, right? He called after her, and his voice continued after him, and that kept her in line. This is... And so this is... Um, so it creates a balance, right? You, uh, let's see here. And so then, um, picking up where it was uh, talking about the bride again, in the, in the same quote, it says, um, all others never appeared no more. They went out never to come back again, but the bride came back because she is Alpha and Omega. God, the great sculptor, has made him a masterpiece for it is a piece of his first masterpiece, like he made in the Garden of Eden and took a piece from and made it another piece. And that was uh, marred and fell. So going back to where we said, you know, with, with the Elijah ministry, his, the purpose of Brother Branham was to point back at the original church, right? It was, his, it was Brother Branham's voice that kept the, the, when the bride came in view the second time, it was Brother, she watched him when she came in view the second time. Not so much the first time, right? And so what it's, what it's indicating is that there's, there's a first church, and then Brother Branham's job is to keep us in line so that we could remain as the, as the, when the bride comes in view the second time, right? It's a, it's a restoration of what came in the beginning. And so in this, this thought of that his voice continues after him, um, you know, this, this brought to my mind Revelations chapter 10, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that. Uh, we'll start at, at verse 1. Um, and it says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, 
and his face was it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. Which I, you know, think about what Brother Donnie was preaching over the meetings, talking about how, you know, every time there's a, what God is trying to do in this age, the devil is trying to mimic that. Um, here you have the mighty angel with a rainbow about his head, and in the same time you have the, you know, the rainbow brigade <laughs> marching through the churches, right, with their, with their imitation. Um, uh, let's see, and, uh, um, and he had in his hand a little book. Um, how much time I got? Not a lot, so I'm going to skip some of this. Um, uh, a book, and his right hand upon the sea, and his left foot upon the earth, and cried with a loud voice, and, um, as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven. And swear that him by liveth forever and ever, who created the heaven and the things, uh, created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, and there should be time no longer. Um, it says, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, okay, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the book, give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, and it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the hand of the angel and ate it up. And it was in my uh, mouth sweet as honey, and as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many people and nations and tongues and kings. Okay. So, um, I wanted to focus in on, in, in starting in, in, in verse 10, or in, in verse 7, um, where it says in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, right? It's in, are we in the days of the seventh angel? In a sense, yeah. But the, the angel's gone, the angel's off the scene. But we are in the day of his voice, right? His voice has continued on. Um, and he's begun to sound. And... Uh, it is in that, under that voice, that the mysteries of all the mysteries of God are finished. Okay, um, and so it's and it uh, comes down here, and so John, which I don't really have time to really get into because I have five minutes left, um, uh, is is this type of the bride, and so the bride. After this, you know, as the seventh angel is sounding, then has to go and prophesy herself, right? If if we're John and we have to prophesy again, what does that really mean, right? Because are we all prophets, right? I mean, the Bible says we're prophets, priests, and kings, but we're not bringing a new word, right? We're not we're not revealing some new mystery, you know. Um, but there's this, there's this one of my, I think it's a beautiful quote. It's from God's only provided place of worship. Um, and it said, but in the day when the Son of Man will be manifested, revealed, brought back, the church together with the entire deity of God him, amongst his people, showing the same visible signs, manifesting himself like he did at the beginning, when he was manifested on earth in a form of a prophet, of a prophet God, Right? He hyphenated, it's hyphenated there. It's a prophet God. Glory promised by Malachi 4. It says, 
uh, look, Enoch was a living word of God of his age. He was a prophet. A prophet is God's reflector. How many knows that? The reflector doesn't reflect itself. The reflector isn't the reflection. There has to be something strike the reflector to make it reflect. So a prophet is a chosen vessel of God that cannot reflect nothing at all, but he's in direct line with that reflection, God, to reflect the image of Christ the Word. See, nothing else can do it. Okay, so here we have this image, mental picture. Here's a mirror. It's a prophet. There's the light, the Word. God, God is light, strikes the, 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 the mirror of the prophet, and then that prophet directs that to the people. And so we can look at the mirror and see the light of God shining off of that reflector prophet and say, well, that's God, but it is. But the mirror is not God. The reflection is God, right? The prophet is not his message. He is a reflector of the message. And he, without the reflector, we wouldn't see the message. And so it's important to have him, right? Otherwise, we'd be way out of step. But we also recognize that God is the actual thing that we're seeing here, okay? And to, and to really turn our, our worship towards, uh, towards the, the giver of the light. And then so he, he comes down and he says, uh, to reflect the image of Christ the word, see nothing else can do it. And then period, you are a reflector. That's the reason the prophet had to eat the book. That's the reason he had to eat the scroll. He had to reflect the word for that age. You got it? Well, okay, this is John prophesying again, right? We're not bringing some new word. We're just simply re-manifesting the same word that was in the beginning, right? The bride becomes a reflector that reflects the first church. And so, um, you know, everything that was... Everything that was there has to be again. This is, I mean, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> I know kind of growing up in the message, a lot of times it's kind of like you, you read, you know, hear about people talk about this, and it's like, okay, well, how does this help me put my pants on on Monday and go to work, right? Like, because it's all these wonder, these deep, dark mysteries, and, you know, I've, my wife always asks me what I'm, if she knows I'm doing Sunday school or preaching or whatever, she always asks me, well, what are you going to talk about? And I try to tell her something, and then I, I, you know, kind of t told her my notes last night, and she's like, wow, that kind of went over my head. I said, yeah, okay, fair enough. Well, because, you know, it's, well, it's mysteries, and it's types, and it's, oh, if you don't have a mind for it, and you don't catch it, okay, great. Well, so I told her, all right, look, God is as complicated as you want him to be, right? This is one of the most beautiful things about God. He's as complicated as you want him to be. If you want mysteries, there's mysteries for days. You will spend your lifetime trying to get through it and never do it, Okay? but he's as simple as you need him to be, okay? Everything that I just said can be condensed into like a couple sentences, which is God cares about you a whole lot. <laughs> and he cared so much about you that he engineered time and space to have someone on the earth who could explain all of this to you. And that person's a prophet. And that prophet brought a message that would point you back to God who cares about you so much. And that there's... God cared that prophet's message was to tell you that when the storms of life come, there's a God who is deeply invested in your life and has power to help you. That when you're sick, there's healing. When there's 
When there's trouble, there's, there's, there's comfort. When there's all these things, God is deeply, there's not some, it's not a fairy tale and it's not a Bible story. You know, you know people think, oh, well, you know, the, the miracles were for the Bible days. Well, when did the Bible stop being relevant? Um, we're still in the Bible days. Um, you know, there's all of these things. And so the way it helps you with the whole summation is, is that there's, there's a, there isn't this big chasm between you and God. There isn't, there's, there's, a, there's a, a God who cares about you so much that he gave you his, everything that he is right there. And, and for whatever you might need. And all those stories in the Bible about the, the first church, you know, when it says, you know, writing a, a book of Acts again after what would come in the last days. I mean, as there's an old saying, um, there's an old saying that goes, well, it's, it's actually, I think Stalin said this, said uh, a million deaths or a, a single death is a tragedy and a million deaths is a statistic. Because you can't really get your head around a million deaths. Because, but you can get your head around one death, right? You can really empathize with one person, but you can't really with a million people. It's too big. I feel like we kind of have a similar kind of attitude when it's like Bible stories. It's like, oh, there's all these stories in the Bible. And okay, well, you know, Jarius had a, had a daughter and she died and Jesus came and rose from the dead. Or, you know, there's a crippled man who was by the wayside begging and Peter and John went by and, you know, said silver and gold have I none. And then he could walk. And it's kind of clinical and and... There's not a lot of, well, okay, but the man by the wayside begging had a family and he couldn't go to work for maybe 30 years and they starved. And so when Peter and John, Peter and when they, when he got his healing, there was a real human story there. And a lot of the times we get so hung up in our individual problems and it's like oh well I have this sickness or I have this financial problem or I have a marriage problem or I have a whatever problem and it's hard to connect that to the almost like historical recounting of the church of of the book of Acts but it's the same God there and so when 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 it talks about they're going to write another book of Acts it means Friend, that sickness that's been crushing you for 30 years, you don't have to actually deal with it anymore. There is actually power on the earth to heal you. There is actually power on the earth to go find that, you know, to to fix your wretched condition, right? Whatever, you know, there's the amount of, of brokenness that people have in their lives that God is more than able to repair. It's not, I don't know. It's it. I just, if I could, <laughs> if I could just convey anything, cause I, I'm really out of time and I gotta, I gotta stop. Um, it's that there's, it's not the, the mysteries are here Again, it's, we can make it as academic and as complicated as, as we want to make it. The, if I could just condense it down to one thing, it would be just understand that the love of God is so big, it can condense all the mysteries of the universe down to a single thing, is that Jesus loves you so much that he will fix 
anything that you need him to, and that all of your problems can be, can be healed. So we'll, we'll end it there. And uh, thanks for, hopefully my rambling will have helped you a little bit. (laughs)